0: Let's find common ground. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Florian Glatz, the founder of Common Ground. And in this podcast episode, we have Andreas Fauna, the founder of Rocket Star Foundation.
1: Welcome to Finding Common Ground, your gateway to the digital revolution in community building, cooperative governance, and collective ownership. Join us as we explore the future of humankind in the 21st century with thought provoking conversations featuring innovators, pioneers, and visionaries from around the globe. Let's embark on this journey together, bridging divides and reimagining our collective future. Get ready to be inspired, informed, and ignited. Let's find common ground.
0: Andreas, thank you so much for being here. Please introduce yourselves to our audience.
1: Hi, Shorian. Hi, audience. Yes, my name is Andreas Fauler. I'm based out of Frankfurt in Germany, and I'm one of the founding members of Rocket Star Foundation. I think we will talk about Rocket Star Foundation a little bit further uh, in the coming minutes. Um, Yeah, what's interesting about me in addition, I am from the tech industry since more than 20 years, and I'm nearly fully uh, engaged in the Web3 um, sphere since three, four years, so really made the shift from traditional software to Web3.
0: So this is the very high level of my background. Thank you so much, Andreas. Uh, today we want to explore a little bit the future of enterprise and the future of Web3, and you are an expert on exactly the subject matter, and uh, obviously Star touches on this in in quite interesting ways. Before we dive into what Rocketstar is, I want to learn a little bit about you personally. What is your sort of history in the enterprise world and how did you end up getting into this craziness that we call Web3?
1: Yeah, let's think about how long I make it uh, because, as I mentioned, I'm 25 years into the, let's say, working life. I think what is interesting is I did my bachelor thesis on increasing returns, which later was called um, Network Effects, and which led me to the world of anything, let's say, digital and um, exponential. And it turned out that this theme was really the red line across my whole career. So I started at a software company. It was IBM, the mother of IT. And then have been in different sales roles and customer-facing roles with many yeah, software companies from Germany and US and also from the soft uh, from the startup and um, let's say more enterprise world or bigger ones. For example, I was with SAP for some years and also touched on AI business. So I was always um, embracing innovative stuff, and as yeah my first touch points with software also told me. Bits will rule over atoms, and I think this is something that today nobody really would challenge, but at that point it was quite new. So at that point you would have been called a nerd if you would touch the software world in the late 90s. So a lot of things have changed, and of course the digital sphere has gained a lot of traction and uh, a lot of um, um, attention in any industry.
0: That is so interesting that you started to dive into this tech industry already in the 90s. That means uh, we call this traditionally uh, Web 1 nowadays. So you've seen the Web 1 revolution, the Web 2, and now the Web 3 revolution. Do you already know Common Ground? Common Ground is a new kind of social network that is owned by its users and that brings the benefits of Web 3 to communities. Be part of it now. you find the link in the description. Many people say that the Web 3 revolution is in some ways reminiscent um, of the Web 1 revolution in the sense that way back in the 90s, people had a lot of hopes about what the Internet would achieve in terms of democratizing access to information, democratizing many other elements of this society. But then Web 2, which sort of led to this explosion of Internet services and platforms, Turn out quite a bit different. And so now Web3 seems to, you know, bring back these dreams of a more decentralized world. What is your personal sort of viewpoint on this? Is Web1 and Web3 or is Web3 sort of making true on the promises of Web1 or is it two fundamentally different processes and and changes that are happening in society? What, What is your view on this?
1: I totally agree. I think Web One, the static web, or however you call it, was really decentralized, and all the protocols are open source. So it started really where we try to get back with Web Three again. I think we also have, let's say, the communication stream and the internet and um, the connectedness of systems in one area, and on the other side, the application stream, and the application software world always has been centralized, and I think. When the connected connection of applications appeared, um, this centralization, um, centralized approach of the application software providers did prevail and really over, overran the decentralized space. And so, um, we call the social web or the Web two typically ruled by single company platforms, which means it's a single company that captures most of the value that is created. And if you look at big tech, we see it's huge and it also takes away a lot from customers and other stakeholders, but probably we'll touch on this also later. But we see um, market failure appearing here. It is caused by the increasing returns I mentioned in the beginning. It means um, if you have a little bit of an advantage early, you can built on it and it's very difficult to catch you up. So really these network effects are good for the single company, but not good for the society necessarily. And we hope with Web3, we get to community owned and community governed platforms. We believe platforms are the future. So another shift that happened also or is happening is the shift from, let's say, linear value chains to, let's say, more platforms that are ruled by communities user communities, creator communities, and so on. And it's not that linear anymore,
0: which is quite counterintuitive for many people. This resonates so much with me, Andreas, and really also reflects our vision that Common Ground, where we exactly believe that platforms are not going to go away, but the way platforms are being governed and run is fundamentally changing. We go from this single company model to actually something that resembles much more communal ownership. And i love to have you as a guest because I think we not only agree on this aspect, but we also agree on, well, how can you actually make this happen from an organizational and legal perspective? Before we uh, explore these commonalities, I want to learn a little bit more about how you look at Web3 and decentralized autonomous organizations. Because I think this is where a lot of people in the Web three space today, stand when they look at community ownership and community governance, they think about decentralized autonomous organizations. Would you consider yourself um, an expert and or even you know proponent of this idea of decentralized autonomous organizations, or are you coming from a different angle? at this concept of community ownership of platforms? What's your take on that? First of all,
1: um, I think it's a real innovation. And I think a DAO can be much, and there's a lot of experimentation going on. So I consider myself as a practitioner in this space, but very uh, enthusiastic and really being a member of many DAOs and also having founded Rocketstar Foundation as a DAO or co-founded Rocketstar Foundation as a DAO. So we really try to Yeah, experience the innovation from it. And what we see is it demands a different, let's say, way of work. It's really not easy to embrace the principles totally because you get back to the old thinking all the time. And um, still, um, we see a lot of potential. Um, What we see as a commonality with any DAO is there are some kind of resources that are governed and hopefully also created. And there's some kind of coordination happening. And what we really love with DAOs is you can have a DAO in 20 minutes on the blockchain, technically, and um, you can coordinate around one purpose without knowing other people. For example, Ukraine DAO is for me one of the greatest examples, where within hours, a DAO was created. And within hours, money was sent to the Ukraine forces um, while traditional means took days. So it's really spontaneous power of aligning people on a purpose and coordinating around it. And um, as we know, we consider ourselves to be a service DAO, but of course there are different kinds of DAOs which could be very different in what they do and so on. So I think this is something we all really learn a lot at the moment, but really
0: interesting space. Thank you so much, and this is extremely helpful. And um, I like your broad definition of DAO, saying okay, there is you know resources, there is governance, there's alignment between people, and that's all it really takes to have a DAO. Now, with your background in the enterprise world, and now you know being with two feet deep in the Web three world, what do you think? DAOs can actually learn from the old world, from the enterprise world? Um, if at all anything. Do you think there is, you know, some learning um, that DAOs can take from from the enterprise world, given that enterprises are probably the biggest human organizations we have today? Not looking at governance for a moment, just That's... sort of in the private sector.
1: Um, I think DAOs are very good at creative Hierarchy less, let's say some kind of decentralized decision making, but there are challenges in being uh, in efficiently um, conducting, for example, work or product projects. So I think um what's achieved in the enterprise world with um project management organizations or also um, division of labor is very um, very good and can also help DAOs to operate the day-to-day work and achieve goals. So at the end, I think some kind of project orientation or also a division of labor is needed within the DAOs. Um, but um, it can very well work together with the hierarchylessness. For example, in our DAO, we, have, we call it an inverted power structure, which means the most important decisions, strategic decisions, and all the important things are decided Hierarchy less with the, in a decentralized way, uh, matter, and uh, the work is done in what we call missions, which is more or less like a project, and there, there can be a hierarchy there. So we try to combine it in this way, but I think yeah, there's a lot of learning to be done also in the DAO space. What we often don't really like is that there is a real gap between the both worlds, and and that's also our. Our claim is bridge web three and enterprise because we think yeah there should be more collaboration and also more openness from both sides. I mean enterprises are very much in their own thinking and DAOs also are in a different thinking. So really, um, yeah, bridging both worlds we believe can be very
0: beneficial for both sides. That I think is the perfect segue into the Rocket Star Foundation. Um... You just sort of gave a mission statement actually to bridge this gap between enterprise and DAOs in order to facilitate mutual learning. Um let's start at the beginning. How did you come to create or co-found Rocket Star Foundation? Um, what is your vision? Uh what is your mission? Who's with you on this journey? And how far have you come along that journey?
1: Yeah, the beginnings have been quite. Yeah, not funny, but um, as, always, as often it's some in, in inflection point that give you gives you a hint and then a movement gets created. So um, first thing was I was very interested in Web3, but I'm not a coder. And so it was quite difficult to engage with the community because if you are not capable of coding, it's very difficult to add value. And still, I... S- as I dig deeper into the space, I saw, okay, they could benefit from what I can do, which is largely around adoption or in the traditional world, it was mainly sales roles I was involved. So really, um, let's say, um, helping organizations um, understand the value of new technologies and helping them adopting them and also in in a large scale. That's what high level, I would say, is the main um task for sales that's something many web3 projects also need because there are quite some web3 projects that can add value to the traditional world or real world use cases so that was something i saw as an opportunity yeah then i got uh, known to ocean protocol uh trend mcconaughey uh, and some others there and they said hey come on um won't you advise us on the adoption space and really help us get in touch with organizations um, about our technology because we know Ocean Protocol is about data collaboration and data economies. And most of the data is within organizations. So you have to work with them to unlock it. And so they said, hey, come on, let's try something and um, engage here. And yeah, I did this for two years. And for example, we engaged in the Gaia X um, a project of the eu and some other interesting spaces then i said we need more people to do it because i cannot do it alone and i was not full-time on it and then they said okay we don't want to uh, build a sales force on our own why don't you found an own organization And that was literally the idea to say, okay, let's do an organization that can help not only one Web3 protocol to engage, but many, because what we also see is based on the principle of composability, if you want to solve a real-world problem of an organization, it's typically not solved by one protocol, but a combination. So the idea was really, not every Web3 protocol needs Salesforce. You can have one DAO, that does it for multiple uh, Web three protocols, and so this was the original idea, and then it it uh, grew based on network of myself and some other early founders, and um, we also got some stri- strategy consultants in, and then we also came from the other side and said, okay, what? How can Web three innovations really innovate and upgrade business models and there we said, okay, there's no real framework about how to do it on an on a meta level. So what we also developed was a meta use case framework about how organizations independent from technology can benefit with their business models with uh, Web3 with innovations. So we have 11 meta use cases and four uh, meta values we have defined. And that's something we, so we embrace it from both sides at the moment. And we are eight. We are eight founding members, and now we are starting. So we have been this, let's say, incubation phase where we said, "Okay, let's try out if it works." We founded a uh, European cooperative, which was also quite big thing, and what we found there is, yeah. let probably we we'll touch it later, <laughs> uh, but that was also a bigger thing. And now we are ready to grow the membership of our members, and probably one thing that is also quite. Um, Interesting is, you do not have to work full time for the DAO. You can decide how much you put into the DAO. And what we see is some people do more, some do less, but also over time, you have times where you contribute more and then you do less. And mostly, of course, it's aligned around the missions, but it's fluctuating for each member's preferences, which is also quite uh, interesting, I think, and probably also a new way of doing work.
0: Let's see. I think that is uh, a genius elevator pitch that you gave us, this idea of a Salesforce DAO for uh, a number of protocols, maybe hundreds of protocols in the future that collaboratively together actually allow organizations on a broad scale to sort of upgrade their business models to a more web three type uh, business model. That's genius. Um, So you mentioned that uh, Ocean Protocol sort of the data economy protocol data sharing protocol uh, sort of gave you the original idea to start this can you give us an idea with which kinds of projects are uh, you're you're working with today uh you mentioned Gaia X as well uh, what sort of web 3 projects uh, are you engaged
1: with yeah um we are um, working as mentioned with ocean Protocol, Then we are um, working with Chainlink at the moment. So we have quite some, let's say, um, data focus. And this is also something that very well fits to the, let's say, competences and capabilities of some of the members. So we are strong in the data world, data science, AI, and also um, database business models. So this is something we really um, embrace very much. We have one um, development um, organization that we work with to do custom developments. And um, we also are working with Fireblocks, which is a foundational piece of wallet infrastructure. So these are the three protocols we currently work with. Um, And um, to be honest, we have switched a little bit more to the consulting aspect, because what we've learned is, um, you have to really start with the business model what we see um, with many, let's say, Web3 experiments um, is that a lot of technical aspects are covered. In many cases, um, proof of concepts are delivered successfully, but then the adoption is not as fast as expe- expected because you do not embrace the whole ecosystem and there are let's say, non-technical aspects that are not ready to embrace it. For example, you would have to adopt the business model in many cases, but you wouldn't do it until you know it's better. Innovator's dilemma is something that's very powerful here also. So you don't change your business model as long as the old works. even especially if you're not sure if the new one will work. So this is something that is quite difficult and much more prohibitive than the pure, pure technical stuff. Today we have a lot of Web3 protocols that do technically yeah. that work, that have use cases that work, but um I think um the challenge is really to upgrade the business model. Yeah. That's and that's something we very much also focus in the meantime. Yeah. And Slight focus on data collaboration, but not only. Metaverse is something we touch pretty often at the moment. And also, let's say, aspects of how to organize work. So really, DAO tooling and this kind of stuff also.
0: This is so interesting. So your experience with bringing this innovation to the enterprise world is that okay, the the technical challenges can actually be mastered. There are oftentimes or sometimes there are proof of concept implementations of these Web3 uh, technologies inside an enterprise, but then it typically fails to actually become really adopted by an enterprise because it would come with a fundamental change in how the enterprise monetizes, changing the business model. And the mindset interesting, and when you think about it, it makes sense, right? Why ne- never change a running system? I suppose is uh, their thinking, but then again, nowadays we see a lot of you know tried and true sort of uh, business models actually fail. Uh, now with AI on the horizon um, and actually being out there, you know, actually accessible now to enterprises, I think a lot of these uh, a lot of these things will change in the next few years. So you seem really well positioned there. Very interesting. Now, let's dive a little bit in this cooperative topic because uh, I just find it so 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 fascinating that you have chosen for the Rocket Star Foundation to be a European cooperative. Um, full disclosure from my side at Common Ground, we're also intending to choose uh, a European cooperative as our you know, legal form because it comes with some unique uh, advantages. And I remember, I think a year or two ago, we got in touch with one another and actually talked about this uh, cooperative things and you went ahead and actually did it. Uh, We're still in the process of doing it. So I think we have a lot to learn from you. Maybe you can take us through step by step. Why did you arrive at this idea of a cooperative and how did you actually pull it off? And uh, is it something that you would recommend to other projects, projects like Common Ground, the user-owned platform? Um, or would you say, nah, you know, I don't know, go to the Cayman Islands or, I don't know, go to Hong Kong and Singapore. What's what's your take on that? Thank you.
1: I mean, first of all, if you are a DAO, and we have been a DAO um, before we incorporated as a European cooperative. And I think not every DAO needs to incorporate, but I think that the pressure will increase. And um, for us, as we wanted to engage with enterprises, we had to be able to make contracts with them. So at the end, we we knew we needed some kind of legal entity. And that was the original uh, uh, insight about, okay, we need a legal entity, what do we do? And then we looked at any opp- uh, opportunity and also looked at what other DAOs did, which was quite interesting because many DAOs are incorporated as a like limited liability or some, as you mentioned it, uh, some are foundations, okay, if you give out uh, tokens mainly. It was interesting that many had centralized legal entities and they had their DAO, which was Decentralized of obviously. So it was a in misalignment somehow, which you can deal out. But we said, no, we want our ideal thing would be to have a legal entity that more or less at a hundred percent is similar to what we what the principles are we follow with the DAO. And there um we pretty fastly came to the cooperative structure because cooperatives are community-owned and community governed. And so from the high level, it was clear cooperative is the right way to do it. And of course, also we wanted to um, serve the members of the DAO mainly, but also society. But mainly we also wanted to uh, serve the members of the DAO. So it was really the right thing. Um, and then uh, we stumbled across the European cooperative as a pretty new um, legal form that was, I think, I, don't, I think it's here for quite some years, five, six, seven, something around this. And there we saw, oh, we can do a lot there, which we cannot do with a German Eingetragene Genossenschaft, so German cooperative. For example, you can do a lot in the digital sphere. You can do digital meetings, you can do digital votes and things like that. We have our cooperative shares on the blockchain, represented by tokens, for example. And so um, we thought, okay, it's digital first. At the end, it's really a cooperative, which is community, which highlights community ownership and community um, governance. And we also believe it will probably evolve with the DAO and Web3 world in the EU. Not absolutely sure, but I could imagine it's it's a good fit also for others and for the EU if it wants to engage more in governing DAOs. I think it's quite obvious to go this
0: path. How has your experience been with, you know, the enterprises that you are closing contracts with, that you are, you know, really formally engaging with? Um, Are they in any form, you know, giving you feedback or questioning, um, you know, the fact that you are a cooperative? Are they surprised? Are they happy about it? Uh, Do they maybe even want to join this cooperative? Obviously, that seems to be a possibility as well. Maybe you already had some cooperatives joined, uh, some enterprises joining your cooperative. Or what is your vision there? Um, Can you you tell us a little bit from your experience there?
1: The first thing is, it's very positive. Most of the people don't know the SCE, Societas Cooperativa Europea. So most of the people don't know it and they are very interested. And um, as we are talking about cross-organizational stuff, in many cases it's something that's on the horizon to have a data cooperative. If you do um data collaboration cross-organizationally, you could govern the data also based on this cooperative model, of course, also a DAO model. So it's very interesting. And to be honest, the most inquiries inbound we get due, due to the fact that we are a SCE and a DAO and have cooperative. So we did get quite some press about it and quite a lot of people reach out to us exactly
0: for that reason. Yeah, Makes a lot of sense and uh, I can imagine that uh, your experience there is really valuable for others. Um, is your inbound more from existing DAOs who are looking for a suitable legal entity or is it from non-Web3 actors who are like, oh mm, that is interesting is that something for us as well? How would you classify that?
1: Um,
0: it's more from
1: the traditional world and it's Sometimes it's, or the most concrete ones is from, as we call it, preloaded ecosystems. So at the end, organizations that are somehow organized, but not really are incorporated. And sometimes it's some level of cooperation that is not uh, formalized. So that's the most interesting inquiries, because then you really can bring it to the next level or formalize the collaboration in more detail with DAO tooling, but also with probably an STE. but DAO tooling would be the first step in if you're not organized at all.
0: So um, what really is, you know, the benefit of bringing together the cooperative and Web3 DAO tooling and governance, sort of this marriage of these two, you know, the traditional legal form of a cooperative it's been around for centuries probably not the SCE but this general idea of a cooperative web3 is pretty new at the same time it draws upon of course established ideas like voting um, and communal ownership which arguably is also thousands of years old but in this new way with blockchains it's pretty new uh, what for you are the superpowers of bringing these two worlds together? I
1: think m- most of the innovative companies know that cooperation is a better source of competitive advantage, or at least let's say it's it's a different word. Uh, it's a different word here. Uh, cooperation is stronger than competition. And um, it's more about out cooperating the others. What we see is there are many, let's say, as we call it, preloaded ecosystems. So there's some form of collaboration in some kind of area. And then the, the organizations have some trust and they want to increase the level of cooperation and sometimes also formalize it more. And that's a perfect starting point. And probably they wouldn't think of creating a legal entity, but just say, okay, we want to have votes. We want to jointly decide on things. We want to govern something. For example, we have the data collaboration space. Um, People are collaborating with data and create new data, for example, statistics, benchmarks, or even AI models. And this jointly created assets needs to be governed. And that's something a DAO could do technically and trustlessly. Trustlessly. So you don't even have to trust the other parties. And that's something we think is very powerful. And what we also see is if you do the switch from protecting your knowledge and your IP to let's collaborate and create knowledge flows from knowledge stock, it's really the ability to create positive sum games. But that is something. There's also not much experience, I think, in a collaborative way. But this is something we very much also look at. So really, how can we collaborate mostly on data, but also other things, knowledge, and create positive sum games and really say, okay, we can do it collaboratively, something we cannot do on our own because we don't have enough data, we miss some part of the piece of the cake and things like that. So this is something we really look at very much. But it's also an area where there are not many examples, at least large scale. But we believe there's a lot of potential here.
0: I find this so fascinating, Andreas, and I think you're really, you know, pushing the boundaries here. Um, Now with, you know, ChatGPT and those sorts of innovations, actually a lot of people, I think, are waking up to the power of data uh, in the form of, of course, training data. Um, me being a lawyer here in Germany, um I just know from experience that there has traditionally always been a lack of publicly available data. Most of the data is either with courts or it's with individual law firms, but there is no public domain of massively available legal data to train an AI on on the particularities of the German legal system. And I've always wondered when, you know, we will come to a situation where, you know, I don't know, a few dozen big law firms in Germany or, you know, other stakeholders actually come together to create sort of, you know, data cooperative in order to then train uh, AI models to then help everybody um, that is a stakeholder in this data domain. where do you think we will see you know the first movers um, where you might be the ones who facilitate this sort of this cooperation Uh, probably not the legal fields i would imagine maybe it's medical maybe it's insurance maybe it's i don't know what is your feeling where will we see the first examples here
1: that's really a very good question and we ask it ourselves every day at the end. And not only we, because I mentioned the guy X um, uh, ecosystem, it's more than 250 member firms. So it's really a, a huge um, um, ecosystem. And there are a lot of projects already running. Mostly they are, let's say, industry focused data spaces. For example, Katina X is one for the automotive industry. Prometheus X is one for the skills and HR, this area. And there are many others. Financial Big Data Cluster is one that works on financial data. There are two forms we distinguish. One is industry data spaces and the others are cross-industry data spaces. Industry data spaces are typically along a data value chain, which means it's the core business of the company that participates and there is some form of competition across the the data value chain, uh, the, the value chain here. So um, we believe, for example, it's more difficult to have this kind of an environment to uh, start with data collaboration where you are directly competing or indirectly competing. We believe it's easier to um, experiment and start with areas where there's no direct competition. And that's, because we have um, created another mission called, we called it Pink Tapia, which is a project on people data collaboration. And we think people data is very well positioned to start this kind of collaboration because it's comparable. So the people data in all of the organizations is comparable. Companies have similar uh, challenges they want to address. And there's also some natural collaboration um, for example, regionally or in some areas where you are interested to have enough workers that are trained in a special area. So um, that's less competitive. And there's also a quite um, strong history of about innovating with technology in the people space. For example, the first computers have been um, for the uh, payroll. Then um, the first outsourced, Uh, processes have also been payroll and later the first cloud uh, usages have mostly also been in the talent space. So there is a quite a history of organizations and enterprises innovating with technology in the HR space. So that's something we think has a high likelihood and therefore we have started the Pink Tapia mission.
0: That sounds interesting. So people data relates to um, data about individuals. Um, people employed by enterprises, and so they are part of sort of the HR uh, data yeah. flow. Or how it, would you describe people data?
1: It's around the HR processes. For example, it's about um, skills shortages. Where are where, what is the skill demand in the future, and what where the shortage? For example, digital skills are short, and many organizations are going through a quite fundamental shift. For example, automotive companies. They have to move from engineering focus to IT focus, and this is similar with many. So digital skills is one of the key themes in that space, but it's also about how to retain uh, employees. Very talented employees are likely to leave a company earlier than, in, than in, the, in the last year. So it's the terms are becoming shorter. So how to retain the talent, how to be attractive for employees. But also uh, the whole topic about health and well-being. So how can we create a healthy uh, workplace? Because that's also a challenge with, let's say, more complex workplace. um, Mental health issues are increasing and so on. So We have seven um, data segments, as we call it, that we uh, cluster. And that are also interesting for different kinds of organizations. For example, upskilling, reskilling is more interesting for the established large uh, companies. Retention is very much in the digital space a topic. So depending on the challenges you want to address, you are looking into different um, data
0: segments. I think at least when we talk about this sort of data treasure and collaboration, At least it makes me think of the topic of regulation, right? So for that kind of data or data in general, there is the the general uh, data protection regulation in Europe, the GDPR, one of Europe's, uh, you know, most proudest moments in recent history. (laughs) Um, But then, of course, there is also a totally new kind of regulation for Web3 crypto. Um, soon to be uh, enacted or um, you know voted into force, um, I think in April now the so-called MiCA or Markets and Crypto Assets regulation. Um, how do you and how do the enterprises that you work with look at this topic of regulation? Is it sort of the big you know roadblock that some people make it out to be? Is it more of an opportunity from your perspective? So something actually to, you know, make use of and move forward. How do you look at this topic of regulation? I know many people in the Web3 space are really critical about it. They say, oh, one one big reason why DAOs aren't taking off in the way we expect it is because of a lack of regulation and, and liability limitations. What's your take on this from your perspective?
1: looking at europe i'm very happy about what's happening to be honest including the data strategy data act data governance act but also mika i think it's really um the right level to approach it so i think it's more of an enabler than a, a prohibitor of course we tend to overregulate and really to to touch too many things and Still, I also see a lot of people in Brussels and in Strasbourg that really are aware about the, these kind of challenges and are really open to engage with people like us and really are open and approach a more agile way than it has been in the past. And for example, the decision not to include decentralized stuff into Mika was very brilliant, I think but still work on it, of course. But um, I think um, decentralization is really something that will really go very deep into the regulatory sphere. And we mentioned the innovator's dilemma with enterprises. It's also there with governments and lawmakers. Um, You are bound to the established world. The status quo has a very strong, let's say, attraction point. Manifested by personal um, relationships with people, personal experience, and really also, I mean, as a regulator, you typically look at how can I protect my jobs and so on. And it's more difficult to be innovative for a regulator than for us because you have to say, I have a lot of jobs here and I do something that's probably they don't want it, but I hope to, there will be new companies. growing up, things like that. So I really fully embrace the difficulty here. And based on this understanding, I really love it. And um, still, I also see this regulation as a responsibility for people like us to now bring it to life. I mean, the data regulation is a little bit older than Mika. And we really need to speed up also on the implementation and experimentation and adoption sphere. I think the regulator did a very good job, but now let's do something real with it. And there, um, yeah, I think now we have to
0: speed up also on the execution side of things. I love your enthusiasm, Andreas. It's really infectious in a good way. So absolutely exciting. We're coming towards the end. Um, most of my questions, I think, were really answered by you in a very satisfying way. Um, what is your sort of prediction for what we're going to see in 2023? What are the big trends? What are the ones that you're going to engage with? What is, you know, um, the future direction that you want to take with Rocket Rocketstar? Um, what's in store in 2023? for you and the space in general?
1: One thing I'm really enthusiastic about is, um, in our direct sphere is we, we, with PinkTapi, we want to create a decentralized data trust, which would be quite innovative, I think. And um, you really also touch uh, decentralization in this, let's say, innovative area. And I also would love to see a decentralized large language model coming from EU, I mean, you mentioned ChatGPT Ch- and AI keep kicking up, and everybody says there will be five models, and hopefully there will be one from Europe. But I would love it to be decentralized and not centralized because now we're doing the same mistake that we did with cloud to create U.S. <laughs> or Chinese-centric single company black holes of data. Now we do the same with OpenG- ChatGPT GP- uh, Ch- and the stuff. So we not only need a European. Large language model, we need a decentralized large language model. And I think we have many ingredients in the Web3 space to really build it. We have a lot of people who can help. We have a lot of decentralized compute power. And we have some of the protocols already. We mentioned Ocean Protocol. There are some people working on AI and execution layer and so on. So I would really love to see a decentralized LLM coming up or starting its project work this year. I hope this will be the year of adoption, but as we mentioned, it's not mainly a technical challenge. It's really a challenge of the mindsets of the people and also organizational uh, innovation and change. And this is something I know for 25 years is much slower than the technical speed. At the end, we are lagging social innovation and we have to really speed up in upgrading our mindsets and thinking and helping others to also embrace the beauty of Web3. But I have to admit, it took me quite some time to understand the beauty of Web3. It took me years. And I guess everybody has to get into the journey. It's not something you can do in months or in one year. It's something you have to really keep
0: on engaging with and exposing yourself with. Combined with the AI and training data and, and, and so on that, that is typical for AI. So I think that is a really, really beautiful, uh, vision that you've shared with us. And I would very much hope that this is, uh, gonna, gonna happen. Um, I was, I have to say a bit discouraged when I read some, uh, I don't know, experiences people shared around the Gaia X, um, effort. Um, I don't know if Gaia X is going to be the vehicle that produces this decentralized LLM, but it seems that people were not all too happy with the speed of execution in the Gaia X sphere. And that seems to touch on this mindset problem that you've just mentioned. Um, What would be your message to all the people that have not yet understood the beauty of Web3, what what would you like them to understand? What would be your message to them in order to maybe put them on a trajectory where they understand the beauty of Web3?
1: One thing I really think is fundamental, it's the trustlessness. From the technology coming, it's the trustlessness and the transparency, I think, is very superior to centralized institutions. And we can—you do not have to trust Web3. It's uh, in the code, and you can have a look at the code or at what's in a smart contract. So um, you do not have to trust any institution anymore on the Web3 space. This is the most fundamental innovation from my perspective, and also the the convergence of let's say an agreement and the enforcement of the agreement. One of the challenges we have in the traditional world is we have a lot of agreements, we have a lot of good regulation, but it's lagging enforcement. And to be honest, you mentioned GDPR. It's the best data privacy legislation in the world, but it didn't do good for Germany and EU because others didn't care about it. And it's very differently enforced also, even in the EU. So it's we are not having a problem in the regulatory space. We have a problem with enforcing it. There we are also in the globals, always in the global space. So really having something where you say, okay, it's the it's an agreement and it's self-enforcing is very powerful. And at the end, by that you can um, cut out most of the intermediaries, which is also very beneficial. And so this is for me the technical beauty. And but the other beauty is much more profound, I think. It's a crypto culture. And there I really have to say the coolest thing in crypto and web3 for me is the people um very bright people from very diverse backgrounds and also very big openness and this cooperative mindset so i have never heard any any protocol talking about a competitor but just to say hey we use the stuff they did and really have this composability coming to life and if somebody does this, something better i just use it <laughs> and it's open and Therefore, um, it's much more collaborative and we build on the achievements of the others on the technical sphere, but also on the social sphere. So that's something I also love very much. Yeah, It's a great community and it's really fun to be part
0: of. Amazing. I think these were beautiful closing words, Uh, Andreas. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you for finding common ground with me. Uh, I really appreciate it. And... um, I hope that many people will discover this interview and uh, reach out to you to learn from your experience. Um, I'm very glad that we're in touch and that we're both sort of building this cooperative platform future. Um, I think there will be many good exchanges between our organizations in the future. And uh, just thank you so much for taking the time and sharing your experience with us.
1: Thanks a lot to you, was fun and looking forward to the next engagements.
0: Awesome.